Hey there. Welcome to Twins Talk Clear-Cut Communication. Yes, we are twins. And yes, we are two old guys who should know better than to try to tackle the topic of communication in a podcast. But we're going to do it anyway, and hopefully you'll find it informative and maybe even enjoyable. Hey, we're coming to you from Mudsuck, Indiana. That's right, Bear. Mudsuck, Indiana. I can hear the squishing sound. Uh, It doesn't sound favorable to me. No, it does not. It's another one of these pejorative terms you're using for the cities. It's a true city in Indiana. And my reaction is, I don't think I'd want to be from Mudsuck. No, I don't. I don't think so either. I mean, imagine that. Mudsuck High. I would not feel comfortable. (laughs) What do you think the mascot would be? I have no idea, but it's got to be related to a sucking sound. Probably a fighting frog. Fighting frog. Yep. Salamander or something that's. Stuck in the mud. All of it sounds pretty bad. Hey, well, we're continuing our series on nonverbal communication. And one of the things we wanted to do today was to discuss a line of research that's relatively unique in the nonverbal field, but it was, I think, extremely helpful in terms of being able to apply it. And some researchers at the University of Illinois did some work on what they called communication markers. And what they meant by it was the nonverbal behaviors that we use most often without even thinking, that it's just become a part of who we are as individuals, that we use individually to mark our communication with others. And the whole line of research was to look at how people try to gain influence or how people try to influence or persuade others. And that these markers tend to emphasize one form of persuasion versus another. And the researchers referred to one form as power, that is using power as a way of gaining influence. And the other, they use the term attractiveness. Now, as you and I have talked about it, Bear, that term attractiveness or appeal is a little difficult to deal with. Yeah, that, that throws me off. I've been trying to identify a word. I think you and I in conversation, I get closest to using a using the word personal, a personal marker that influences others. Mm-hmm. But I have the idea of what you're talking about. Where do these markers come from? How do they evolve? Well, they actually evolve from the time we're little. From the research perspective, people begin developing these over time as a learned behavior of what gets me what I want. So you think these markers might be, by and large, influenced by family you're in, by the parents you have, by the schooling you attend? I think it is. It's probably less inclined to be genetic or, you know, like the Myers-Briggs personality types or things like that. I think it's more inclined that over time we've learned that these markers seem to get what we want. Now, we may have learned it by watching other people because some power markers, when you're a child, you wouldn't necessarily think to use what the researchers would call a power marker. But on the other hand, they could be looking at adults and saying, wow, that certainly got the job done. That certainly got that person what they wanted. And so they begin to emulate that or replicate that as one of the things they want to do. As we talk about these, because they're probably not genetic, Mm -hmm. there's a greater likelihood of being able to change them, move them. In fact, I would say that one of our central arguments of this podcast is going to be, when you see the whole model, you may make a choice as a listener to alter some markers to say, I don't want to be 
in one camp or the other. And so what are some of the markers I might be able to use to change the impression others are having of me? Because this really is designed to say, here's the impact I'm having on others. They're seeing me as either using power or attractiveness, or as you said, using more personal persuasion. I use the word personal because when I think of power, when I think of of influence, I think it either comes through leverage, which I consider power, Mm. or comes through your own style, your own attributes that people are attached to or or feel good about. Mm -hmm. It's a shade problematic because we develop individually behaviors that communicate to the other person, I'm using power. It's as much an individual activity as is personal markers. It's just that the personal markers are more of a supportive, appealing kind of marker. They're more of, I'm wanting to appeal to you in order to gain influence. And so I think that's why they went with attractiveness, because power markers are also, in a way, personal markers, but it's a useful distinction. So whatever the listener says, this is the easiest way for me to understand it. And while we haven't identified any of the markers yet, It sounds to me as if the theoretical position is it's best to be a blend of these and not exclusively one side or the other in terms of a power attractiveness. Being one rigidly has a distinct disadvantage in terms of your nonverbal communication. Yes. As a matter of fact, that's the interesting, novel, intriguing wrinkle in the material that the researchers provided because they provide a worksheet that has 30 contrasting behaviors on it. So there are a total of 30 power markers and 30 attractiveness or personal markers. And what a lot of people believed is it was probably going to be best to be one or the other. Well, the truth of the matter is being a blend is exactly what you want to be. You don't want to have too many power markers or too many attractiveness markers. If you have too many attractiveness markers, and what I mean by too many is out of 30, if you have more than 20 attractiveness markers, What people are saying is that they don't take you seriously. You don't generate enough power. You don't have enough authority. You don't come across strong enough. You don't come across confident enough. So we're going to dismiss you. On the other hand, if you have too many power markers, then what happens is you're intimidating. You're always overpowering. You're not appealing to people. You cannot get them to come your way based on just personal influence because what they see in you is one who's always using power as a behavior to get what you want. So that's the dilemma. So you're right. You're absolutely right. A blend is where you want to be. It also sounds like these markers might be chosen situationally. Yeah, talk to me more about that. Well, if I'm going into a situation where I don't want to be viewed as someone in power, I might automatically look and adjust some of my behavior so that it leans more toward the attractiveness markers. Yes. Some situations where I want not to be viewed as this power figure. Mm -hmm. Then there are other situations where I need you, like you said, be taken seriously. And so using those power markers is to my advantage in terms of people not assuming that they can be too casual. Yes. I will say that it's easier said than done. These are behaviors that we've developed over time that, in fact, until you look at the worksheet, you may not even recognize some of these behaviors as things you're doing. And so then you have to say, okay, what ones am I actually doing and what ones can I actually change? Because most people say, I don't want to change me. But on the other hand, are there small moves that we can make? There are 30 of these identified in the literature. So one of the dilemmas we have in this workshop is we don't want to go through all 30 of those. That would not even be meaningful. 
But we would say to the listener, if you get genuinely interested in what we're talking about and think you would like to do the exercise and get feedback on how you come across in terms of what we're calling power markers and attractive markers, we can certainly send those to you. And remember, our address is twintalk46 at gmail.com. Now, Bear, how many people do you think we're going to get to write in? I have no idea. I hope that it's a few. But what you're saying is whoever does choose to write in to twintalk46 at gmail.com, that they can get a picture, a full picture of these markers and take that assessment. And we'll be glad to send it back to them with some comments. Exactly. Yeah. If they write into twin talk, <laughs> don't we sound like some PR firm? Right. Twin right. Talk? Yeah. Right. Like we're pushing something. Yeah. Personally, I really do believe that the full worksheet is so helpful. As I've shared with you, I've used it with multiple executives in terms of helping them think through how am I coming across? And this has proved to be one of the most insightful ways of thinking about their own behavior that heretofore had been unknown to them. They really had not thought about it in this way. It's also interesting for couples. I know we're not doing therapy, but the fact is... Hey, we're always in therapy, Bear. We're couples who want some sort of casual assessment of their interactive style and their impact on each other. This you used uh, with people who are close to us. And they have some very interesting outcomes that they find out. And so to summarize, what we're saying is there's a set of communication markers that have been identified that indicate where you are on a continuum of being oriented towards power, leaning towards power, more of a blend, more of leaning towards attractiveness or personal appeal, or totally personal appeal or attractiveness. And you run along that continuum. And when you think about these markers, the place you want to be is to have a blend of them. If you were somewhere between 11 and 18 in these markers, you're in a good space in terms of being closer to the center point. Now, that said, maybe what we ought to do is give some examples of the markers so people know what we're talking about and talk about the ones that they can switch. Now, you and I took a look at the list of 30 and concluded that there are some that are really high risk to shift from one marker to another represents a really high risk move because the marker itself is pretty unappealing. For example, I would say one marker is how we use humor. And humor that's used sarcastically or pointed at someone else is considered a power mark because most people that use humor to be sarcastic or to put it on someone else do communicate power. Now, the opposite of that is humor in which it's self-deprecating. That is, it's humor that's pointed at oneself. I would say that might be a really good marker for a person who has a lot of power to begin to think, I need to stop using my humor that way. I need to start using more self-deprecating humor. But the other way would be problematic for a person who tends to use humor in a more self-deprecating way to begin to try to use humor that's sarcastic and pointed could really be a high-risk maneuver. So we want to be careful on what we recommend. But let me ask you, we've identified some what we consider low-risk shifts in behavior. Maybe you could pick one. By the way, audience, Bear and I concluded that he leans more towards power in his communication markers, and I lean more towards attractiveness. Would you agree with that, Ray? You were kind of smiling, but you didn't laugh. I'm laughing because I'm thinking of a personal story. Should I tell it now? Sure. Yeah. When I, my first year of teaching, when I was at Clawson High School, the first day I went into class and I taught geometry, and I said to my students, look, I'm not interested in passing you without your effort. So if you don't work here, you don't pass. If you don't pass, you don't go on. I don't intend to be anyone's friend here. I'm your teacher. 
<laughs> and then I about another 10 minutes ranting and raving about how I didn't intend to give things away, give the shop away, which were all power markers that you will find out in a few minutes. Mm-hmm. Well, after about three classes, one of the counselors downstairs called and said, Mr. Husband, what are you doing? I said, what do you mean? I meant just introducing my course, my classwork. He said, you have set the all-time record for the greatest number of students who want to change classes on the first day. (laughs) He said, I never had so many students walk in and say, I went out of that class. Well, I was trying to use a strategy. I remembered from my college days when Professor Dr. Mayhew said, as a teacher, you don't smile until December and you don't laugh until April. (laughs) And her reasoning behind that was that you don't want to be too friendly too quickly because it can be misinterpreted and then gradually open up so that these young people don't misunderstand. And so I threw all my power markers right at them on the first day. Just as a follow-up, as a sequel, the next year, I had these new kids come in in geometry, and I thought, well, I'm going to do the same thing. So I started with this ranting and raving, and I'm not here to be anybody's friend stuff. And after about five minutes, I saw one of the students in the first row leaning over to another kid and saying, my sister had his class last year. He's a pushover. (laughs) Well, I called him out in the hall and said, see, Haver, if you don't act like I have rung your bell when we walk back in, I'm getting you transferred out of my class. So we walked back in and he shivered and shaked and he turned to the kid he talked to and said, I made a huge mistake. I was thinking of someone else. (laughs) That was just my own personal example of using power as a teacher to try and set the record straight for these 10th graders before we started a full year. That's a great story. And, you know, what you bring up for me is that neither of these are the wrong set of markers. A lot of people, if they're heavy on the appeal side, say, who would want to be on the power side? And people who are on the power side would say, who would want to be that? That's not the issue. The issue is to be able to understand what they communicate, first of all. And then secondly, to be able to use different sets of markers in order to communicate what I want to communicate or get to that balance or that blend in the center. And so love that story about power markers because they're there. We use them, whether we know it or not. And we need to be aware of that and begin to become more sensitive to it. Now, that said, believe it or not, we're getting somewhat close to time. I guess we could do one or two markers and then roll over into the next podcast. But how about starting with one? You can take either one, attractiveness to power or just the reverse, whatever one. Well, if you're going to move from power to attractiveness, I think one of the ones that you can use and feel best about is moving from detached responses, emotionally distant, emotionally not affected responses, to more empathetic responses. What I'm hearing you feel or what you seem to be feeling is this, where you begin to identify with what they're feeling and allow them to recognize that you're in touch with their emotional state as as well as the situation. What's a detached response look like? Detached response would be to ignore that. Mm. You can see someone is getting upset and just to blast through that, Mm. just to say, we need to go on here. Essentially dismiss what they're feeling or not give it a context that's acceptable. So if you've been told, you've been given feedback that you come across as too strong, too heavy handed. If you're a manager, this often comes in the form of micromanaging those kinds of terms. If they start showing up for you, then one of the things you could do to reduce power markers that you're using is to shift the one from a detached response 
if you are doing that, if your responses are to ignore the motions or to say, I'm not going to deal with that, is to actually begin to address it and to begin to be more empathic in terms of being responsive. Now, it doesn't mean you're moving into counseling, but it does mean you're going to be sensitive to it and you may even raise it or address it in the process of communicating with the other. That would be an example. Right. But one from you. I love working with the folks who use appeal more often, and they struggle to be powerful because, one, they view that in a negative sense. I don't want to communicate power. And yet when I speak to executives, I'll say, you know, people aren't taking you seriously. So one of the things that we find that powerful people do is they tend to expand and protect their space. Oftentimes what I'll see people doing, the people who lean towards attractiveness, is they'll pull all their stuff together, they'll put it in one neat pile in front of themselves, and they'll create as little space as possible for them to take up. And one of the easiest things for me to say to them is, hey, expand your space, spread your stuff out, just spread it out on the table, take up as much space as you can. My own example is I was working with an assistant vice president who was a brilliant woman, but very demure very small. And when she would come into a room, she would do exactly that. She would take up as little space as possible. So when I said to her, what about this as a move you might make? Shift your stuff, spread it out, take up a lot of space. In fact, put your elbows out. And she just laughs at, oh, I couldn't do that. I said, that's the easy thing to do. Some of these other behaviors are really hard to do. So just start doing it. Well, she came back a couple of weeks later when we were visiting again, and she said, that was amazing. I tried it, and I couldn't believe. People would kind of look at me out of the side of their eye and say, what's going on here? And I realized what I had been doing was I had just been kind of curling up into a ball, and I needed to stop doing that. And I said, exactly. You need to create some level of authority. You don't want to overdo it, but you're so far from overdoing it. That one small move only is a gesture towards increasing your power. Now, Believe it or not, we're out of time. So I think we have to stop here. But the the summary for today is this is an interesting piece of research. It has lots of applications. And what we're going to want to keep sharing with you are some of the moves you can make in switching from either a more powerful stance to a more attractive stance or just the reverse. Switching from an attractive stance to increase your level of power to gain a sense of balance in working with others. That would be my summary. Do you have another one that you'd like to add as we close this one off? Yeah, my summary would be, if you really want to make sense of this information, write to twindtalk46 <laughs> at gmail.com and request communication markers assessment, and it'll get sent to you. Yeah. So you have in front of you all of these terms that we're... Now, we're not going to talk about all 60, so you have in front of you the terms that we are talking about, and you can then, in turn, write us and ask about any of the other terms you'd like some information on. And between now and the next podcast, if we can get technically proficient enough, we might even include that worksheet in a set of notes that will go right on the podcast. I've heard that can be done. But given our age and given our disposition, we've never been inclined to do any of that stuff. But we may try it on this one because we think the worksheet is so valuable. The twins are done talking for today. Now it's your turn. We'd love to hear from you with feedback regarding today's theme or situation you'd like us to step into during a future session. You can reach us at twintalk46 at gmail.com. Remember, no communication problem is so big, so complicated, or so intense that we can't make it larger, more complex, or more dangerous than it already is, almost effortlessly. And we'd like to thank Kevin McLeod, for the score that both began and ended this podcast.